Again, Genesis 50, verses 15 through 21. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph, saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin, because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, again, good morning. Welcome to Christ Community. My name's Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here. It's good to be with you as we finish up our time in Genesis, finally. huh? Some of you thought it would never happen. Well, here we are. Okay, so anybody else... Anybody else like just a little bit nervous about the last Star Wars movie? <laughs> you can be honest, this is a safe place. Episode nine, okay? So like, I, was, I was excited about it, so the trailer came on, we were watching something else, and it came on, I was like, okay, yeah, it's gonna be great, until they said it's the final movie. Like in the, in the saga, I'm sure they'll make other like side ones. Like, come on, they like making money. Uh, but like the la- it's, ep- it's the, final, the final episode. And like immediately, like my excitement turned into anxiety because it's like, it's too much pressure, right? Like how can you possibly like all the expectations and all like, who can possibly make that movie good, right? J.J. Abrams, right? The guy who wrote, somebody clap. The guy who wrote the conclusion to Lost? Do you remember that fiasco, right? Like, what could possibly go wrong? I mean, the, the, the expectations are just too high. How can it possibly be any good? I mean, with a story that good, it's hard, it's hard to end it well. And I, and I feel that way a little bit today with, with Moses. Because we've been in Genesis for a long time, people, right? And it, it has been quite a, a journey together in this, in this place. And th- like, think back, like it began, like this is the first book of the Bible. So everything, everything builds upon this. Like the entire Bible builds upon these, these first 50 chapters here in the book of, of Genesis. And it begins with how God created a, a perfect world, right? A garden, it was good, it was beautiful, and, and we were good. But we, we vandalized God's good design like, we rebelled against him, right? And, and as a result, like, it has been story after story after story of abuse, failure, shame, disappointment, grief, over and over. I mean, 29 weeks, people. I don't know what we're thinking. I feel like we should all get a t-shirt today. I survived the Genesis series. Congratulations, right, if you were here at the beginning. It's been a long road, and if I'm, if I'm completely honest, it's not really Moses I'm worried about. Because I feel like he's just writing down these stories, you know, as best he can. It's, like, transparently, I've, it's kind of God I'm nervous for. Because, like, he began this good thing with an incredible garden, right? We, we messed it up. 
can he make it good at the end? And I don't, I don't just mean the end of Genesis, but if, if Genesis is the beginning of everything, then like, like, can he make it all good one day? Everything, everywhere. And I realize for some of you, some of you are like, well, I don't have time to think about that right now, right? I'm just worried about whether or not my kids are going to turn out okay. Or what work is going to be like for me tomorrow. Or, or wondering if you're ever going to feel happy again. Or, or how to live the best life. We all have our like, individual stories, our individual problems. But we still want to know, is it going to end okay? I mean, if you're like me at all, you want to know, like, is God going to get it right? Like my story, is he going to get it right? We can sing sovereign over us, Right? And even when the, in the valley of your faith, like we could sing those songs, but like in, in the, when, when the pain comes, when the disappointment happens, is God going to get it right? Can anyone make it good? And so here we are at the end of Joseph and the end of Genesis. And like if you've been with us, yeah, it's been story after story of heartache, but Joseph is like this, this glimmer of hope at the end, isn't he? Like someone who finally, he's not perfect by any means, but he kind of gets it, right? He actually wants to, to do what is right. He wants to follow this God who made him. And when we come to the end of his story, the end of Genesis, there, there's a summary sentence in there, a couple sentences, a summary, a couple verses, that really is not just the summary of Joseph's life. I think it's meant to be the summary of the entire book of Genesis, of everything that we've learned up to this point. In answer to our great question, can anyone make it good? Let me pray for us, and then we'll jump in to that story together. Let's pray. Father, we need... Um, we need to believe that you can do it. That you can take the messes and make them right. And God, we need to see glimmers of that even today in our, in our circumstances. We need that hope. And God, I pray for even of the, those of us here who can't see it for whatever reason. Maybe the darkness is, is too thick around us. And yet, God, I pray that you'd root us in hope together as your people, trusting in you, believing that you can do this. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so turn to Genesis 50 if you haven't already. And we've been with Joseph, right, these last several weeks together. That's how the, the, the book of Genesis ends. And Joseph, if you, if you recall, he's the son of Israel, son of Jacob, right? Uh, and, and what a family this guy has, right? I mean, the family of God... Like God's chosen people, and Joseph is sold into slavery by his own brothers at age 17. He, he's then in prison for doing the right thing and forgotten. At age 30, he's, he's finally released because he interprets a, a couple of dreams, not least of all for Pharaoh, king of Egypt, right? And, and ends up, as a result, promoted to the number two person in charge of of Egypt. And, and last week, we saw this remarkable picture of forgiveness, that Joseph actually forgives his brothers. I mean, think about that, the pain that they caused, the heartache that he endured, and they are forgiven by Joseph. 
And this, in turn, rescues God's people, right? He he prevents the the famine from happening and destroying them, and God's promises continue to move forward. But now in the story, as the the words we just heard read a few moments ago, uh, Joseph's dad is dead. And and the brothers are all convinced at this point, even though it's been years later, like, okay, I mean, yeah, Joseph forgave us, right? surely he was pretending. Like, surely he has not gotten over the evil that we have done to him. And now that our father is dead, what is to stop him from exacting vengeance on us? And so they come up with a plan. Let's let's tell Joseph that it was our dad's dying wish that he spare us. Even there, right, they still haven't quite gotten it, right? They're still trying to control the circumstance. And so they go to Joseph, they plead with mercy, and it's so interesting to me that Joseph in that moment weeps. It has been 40 years now at this point since they sold him into slavery. It's been 15 to 20 years since he extended forgiveness to them. And yet even so, the wound is that deep. Like forgiveness does not make all the pain go away, right? You know that. So even now he weeps which terrifies the brothers. Like, okay, here it is, like the end, right? And so they fall on their knees before Joseph. In verse, verse 18, they, they cry out, behold, we are your servants or, or slaves. It's actually the same Hebrew word that's used to describe Joseph back in chapter 39 when he was a, a slave, a servant in Potiphar's house. And so his brothers are saying, we sold you into slavery, now do the same to us. Anything to spare us, let us be a servant in your house. And Joseph had every right, didn't he? Not only did he have the power to do it, like as ruler, no one would have blamed him. But what does he say instead? He says, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? Like, Think about that statement for a moment. Especially in light of everything that we've seen in Genesis. Am I in the place of God? Because, because every problem we've seen, everything since, every failure since Genesis chapter 3, even, even our own problems today, our selfishness, our greed, the failures in our family, the politics at work, the injustices in our world, all of it at its root comes down to how we answer that question. Am I in the place of God? Can I replace him? I mean, Adam and Eve sure tried in the garden. Cain, when he murders his brother, the builders of the Tower of Babel, Abraham, over and over, like with the lies, with the injustice towards Hagar and Ishmael, Jacob and Isaac and Esau and Judah and all of the brothers, like time and time again. We want to take the place of God. That's, in many ways, that's the story of Genesis. And if we've learned anything in these 29 weeks, this it just doesn't work. You can't do it. So here, here's our first summary of Genesis, our first lesson from this story, and, and really of all of Genesis. We have three of them all together this morning, but the first one here is that we cannot take the place of God. We want to. We think we can. I'm not sure there's been a day in my life where I haven't at least given it an effort, right? Like, I, I tried to replace him, But this book shows us what happens when we do, and it is ugly. 
like every sin at its core, is our attempt to stand in the place of God, to, to write our own story instead of letting him do it. For example, this, this summer, just a couple months ago, uh, right after we'd gotten home from our vacation, we were, we were gone for a couple weeks out west, and we got back, um, and just like a few days later, we got a notification from our credit card company, like, do you recognize these charges? You ever have those, right? And somebody had stolen our credit card number somewhere back where we, it was right by where we had stayed and they, you know, charged like, like $300 in gift cards at some convenience store, you know. And, and I, like, it's not that big a deal. The credit card company, like, they took care of it, but new number, we had to change. I mean, it's just really a hassle, right? But overall, it's not, it's not that big a deal. And yet, like, somebody pretended to be me, Right? Somebody, like, like that person, they stood in my place, they signed my name, they tried to spend my money with my card number. Like, it's outrageous. I'm Nathan Miller, right? And even though, again, it's not that big a deal, I, like, I, I just want to punch the person so bad, right? Because it feels like such a betrayal, such, like my own identity is like wrapped up, like somebody tried to be me. And yet, like, I, mean, I, I try to stand in God's place all the time. Like, I try to sign his name to endorse my lifestyle, my habits, my decisions, my attitudes, my vices. Yeah, it's okay, Nathan. Like, I'm trying to grab the pen and, like, scribble for him, right? I want to decide what's good and evil. I want to define the good life for myself. Because at the end of the day, still, since Adam and Eve, we don't really believe God can make it good. We don't really believe that he's in charge of this story and that it's going to be better, that we're better off with him than without. We're afraid that he's going to screw it up like J.J. Abrams. And so we try to write it for ourselves, and fan fiction is always so good, isn't it? Look where it's gotten us. Because Genesis shows us on every page, but you don't, have, you don't need the Bible to tell you this, Right? Just, I mean, think back in your own life of the places of deepest wounding, like where you've been hurt the most by another person. Like the scars that you still carry. Now, now think about the, the wounds that you've inflicted on the people you love. Those moments, the thing you said or did, like the pain that you've caused another person. Like if you look close enough, almost every time you will see at its core somebody tried to take the place of God. Either you did or they did, right? With the, the hurtful words, with the, that moment of abuse or betrayal or regret, like somebody stood in his place and it, it hurts you or you hurt them. Like you, we, we know that. Like if, if only, if only that person would have obeyed. If only you would have listened to God in that moment. So much heartache could be eliminated. And so let me just ask quickly, where, where are you trying to take his place? Spare yourself the disaster. Because with Joseph, we finally see someone who refuses to do it. Someone who actually says, who has every right like, to take the pen and write judgment upon his brothers, who says, no, I'm going to let God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let God write this story. And lesson number one from Genesis, you cannot take the place of God. 
Stop trying. Okay, go back, to, go back to the story. Verse 19. So Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. So again, we see, we see, God's for, or see Joseph's forgiveness, right? We see, we see his refusal to take God's place. But he doesn't minimize their actions. I think this is really important. Like, he calls it what it is. Like, evil. You meant evil against me. And, and we've seen this again throughout Genesis, right? You've seen it in your own life. You don't need me to tell you. Evil will be meant for us. That's the second summary statement from this story, from Genesis. Evil's going to be meant for you. It is out to get you. This is, this is one of the main reasons why you and I are so hesitant to, hesitant to trust God, right? Because we know the evil around us. We know the pain and the heartache. There's so much evil. Oh, that word makes us uncomfortable, doesn't it? Because there's evil out there, right? That also probably implies that there's probably some evil in here. It just feels so harsh. Like, I mean, surely nothing I do is evil, right? Is there really evil in our world? And yet when you hear about another shooting or human trafficking or abortion or racism or child abuse, I mean, you can, you can blame in those moments. You can blame education. You can blame politics, culture, upbringing, mental illness, and no doubt those all play a part in this huge mess. But none of that quite captures the feeling when those things happen, does it? They're just so deeply inadequate to explain it. I mean, Joseph was sold into slavery by his own family, by his brothers. And some of you have been tragically abused, even by the people who are supposed to love you. Some of you live in an abusive home. And some of you are the abusers. Some of you have been bullied, betrayed, abandoned, and some of you are the culprits. It is not okay. It is evil. And there's no excuse for it. I mean, it's such a crazy world that we live in, isn't it? I mean, just think about this. You and I, we humans, we are capable of the most incredible beauty. Like unbounded goodness. And absolute horror. We are, you and I. I mean, like you've got, you've got the shooter who kills, right? And you've got the, the innocent bystander who, who does whatever they can to save life. You've got the people who, who flew into planes on, or flew into buildings on 9-11, right? And the, the first responders who, who run in trying to, to, to save life. You've, you've got the, the bully at school, right? And the person who stands up to that bully. And each one of us here, like we are capable of both, you and I. And how do you, how do you explain that apart from Genesis? I mean, puzzling creatures, you and I. It's because we're made in God's image to be like him. But we rebelled. And evil now lives within us. It lives in the people around us, in the broken systems and nations and ideologies. 
And don't forget the serpent. We invited him to stay. And there is a malevolent being in our world who laughs at us, who seeks to destroy all that is good, us, and evil will be meant for you. Oz Guinness, he's a a brilliant scholar. He's actually gonna be with us in just a couple of weeks. Um, Saturday, September 28th at our Leewood campus. I hope you'll you'll join us for this. I think it's gonna be really a phenomenal time. He's gonna talk about our cultural moment. He's a brilliant individual. Um, But in in his excellent book, Unspeakable, he describes evil. evil. He He writes this. He says, the world should have been otherwise. Like knowing Genesis, it should have been otherwise. From the beginning of the Bible to its end, there is no shred of ambiguity about evil. Evil is totally, radically, and flagrantly counter to the character and purpose of God. Evil is a rupture in the cosmic order of things, a cancer whose malignancy has spread to every part of life, a form of red-handed mutiny against life as it was supposed to be. It is an imposter, and it has planted a powerful seed of doubt in my heart and in yours. A nagging question, can anyone make it good? And we don't trust God to write the story. And so let me ask quickly, where does fear get the best of you? Because here's the deal, in a world as broken as ours, your worst fears could come true. They could. And you can allow it to control you. You can try to wrestle the pen out of God's hand to write it for yourself, right? Control, security, isolation. But none of that can help you. What you need most isn't a God who just gives you what you want. That wouldn't, we're too messed up, it's too broken. What we need is a God who can take whatever life throws at us Whatever evil we make and whatever evil we take and who can make it right. I mean, that's what's so remarkable about Genesis and Joseph, right? Because it has been terrible. And yet it all builds to these words. Let me read again verse 19. Joseph says, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. I mean, that's such a remarkable sentence, isn't it? They meant to enslave him. God meant to use him. They meant to oppress him. God meant to empower him. They meant to destroy him. God meant him to save thousands. They meant evil. God meant good. Do you believe that God can do that with your story? With your life, the the evil that you've experienced, the pain that you've had, do you believe that God can do that with our world? God can make it good. That's what Joseph says. That's that's the last thing. And and, in light of all the ugliness, like we as God's people here in this place, Building our lives upon Jesus, we declare together that God can still make it good. Because even, even here, 
Like, this is a story of God's grace. Like, like Joseph's brothers, they don't deserve it. And yet, God's grace runs through Joseph in such a way that it undoes generations of family sin. And God uses their evil, right, to, to save thousands already beginning to, to fulfill his promise to use these people as a blessing to the nations, even Egypt, sometimes in spite of this family. And even when it feels hopeless, I mean, Genesis is a pretty hopeless book, isn't it? It's sort of like turning on the news. And I don't, I don't know why God tends to work this way, but have you ever noticed that it, it, it feels like he almost waits until hope is just about out? Doesn't it? Again, I don't, I don't fully understand it, but like, maybe, maybe that's when we finally turn to him. Like we stop trying on our own. We actually give our, okay, I can't do anything else but turn to you. I don't, I don't know, but it's, it's almost like we inch closer to despair and then God is finally like, now this I can work with. Okay, now, now I'm ready. It reminds me of a time uh, in the life of Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, there was a time early on in the midst of the, the civil rights movement that he almost, almost gave up. He was just like, he was just done. Um, it, was, it was when the boycotts, the bus boycotts, they weren't, they weren't going quite like they'd anticipated. And I mean, evil was just constantly being hurled against them. I mean, terrible, terrible things. And, and, and one night, he talks about this story. It was a defining moment. Even years later, you look back at this moment as a, as a huge moment in his, in his life. But one night, he was in bed asleep, and the phone rang. Uh, and on the other line, like waking him up out of bed, it's like, this guy was like, I'm, I'm going to kill you in your sleep. Like, there's going to be a bomb in your house while you're asleep. And at that point, like, he's not even going to try to go back to sleep. And so he went into his kitchen, and he made a cup of coffee, and he, and he sat there. And I mean, it was just a moment of sheer desperation before God. And he writes, I was ready to give up. With my cup of coffee sitting untouched before me, I tried to think of a way to move out of the picture without appearing a coward. In this state of exhaustion, when my courage had all but gone, I decided to take my problem to God. Desperation does that sometimes, doesn't it? And in his, in his desperation, he, he prayed, and then he continues. He says, at that moment, I experienced the presence of the divine as I had never experienced him before. It seemed as though I could hear the quiet assurance of an inner voice saying, stand up for righteousness, stand up for truth, and God will be at your side forever. Almost at once, my fear began to go. My uncertainty disappeared. I was ready to face anything. But only after the desperation, only after the hopelessness, and we celebrate his life, his accomplishments, but here's the deal. Like, we forget this sometimes. Like, he didn't see it. He was assassinated. Like, and even, even still today, like, we still, in our country, we still are waiting for his dream to be realized, aren't we? But he believed in a God who would make it good. And this reminds me so much of Joseph. Because Joseph dies in Egypt. I mean, even just think about that, like, that's where Genesis ends, with his death in Egypt, not in the garden, not even in the promised land. He dies in Egypt as his own family awaits 400 years of slavery there. That's how the book ends. Genesis begins with the creation of life and ends in a coffin. And the only universal coming out of this, like, that, that we can, every one of us can count on since Genesis 3, is that your story ends in a coffin. That's where it's going. 
You get a coffin, and you get a coffin, and you get a coffin, right? It's dark, right? A little too dark, sorry about that. Couldn't resist. But Genesis ends in death. And the same is true for every one of us in this room. I'm going to do some of your funerals. Maybe Reed will do mine, I don't know. But Joseph knows better. Like even there in the face of, his, of death, like we see it in his last words. Like that he knows that even if God doesn't make it good now, he will one day. Because look at what Joseph says with his dying breath, his last words in Genesis. This is what he says to his brothers. He says, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. I think, like, think about that. Like, God is going to come. He is going to rescue you. I'll be dead. Just take me with you. That's how much Joseph believes that God can make it good. He knows that God's promises, they're not, they're not limited by his brother's sin. They're not even limited by his own death. So I want to end with one last question. It's a weird one, but I think you'll get it. Where will you put your bones? Where do you want them? Where are you putting your hope, your confidence? Where are you planting your identity? Because Joseph knows, Egypt's not my home. Like he climbed to the very top, right? But he's like, I'm not going to stay here. When God comes, I want to go with him. I want my bones even to go with God. So often, people, I live as if this is it, right? Now, now is everything. What I see is all there is, and I wrongly believe so often, right? If God is worth trusting, then he's got to come through today. Like, he, he's got he's to make my life smoother, happier, easier. Like, if, if he's worth anything at all, he's going to do it immediately. Otherwise, why bother? That's not faith. And I know it is so hard to believe, church, especially for those of you who are really deep in the thick of it right now. But Joseph's promise to his brother still continues to ring true for us. God will visit you. He's not done with his creation. He's not done with this story. He's not done with you. One day he will visit us. And even though we see... We see Echoes are of this promise in Genesis, right? We, we, we know in some ways, like Joseph there, he's talking about Moses is writing it down to God's people as they leave Egypt, right? And God visited them in part of the Red Sea. And, and we know, looking back even more than that, that, that God himself now has come in Jesus. God has visited us. But even then, God waited until it got so hopeless, didn't he? I mean, it's so remarkable. Jesus comes, like God himself, and could, could things look worse? As all of evil, like all of the evil the world has ever known is hurled against him on the cross. As he, as he suffers from my evil and yours and the evil in our world, the sins around us, he hangs on a cross for our sins. And life actually leaves his body, and he is buried in the ground. And for three days, his body begins to decompose. Even Jesus gets a coffin. 
Never has the world seen such evil. Never has despair so deeply, profoundly shook the fabric of our existence. And never has the snake laughed so joyfully. Our Savior displayed on a criminal's cross. Darkness rejoiced as though heaven had lost. And some of you feel that way right now. Like, like everything is, is caving in upon itself. Like, and you, you're, you're at risk of losing hope. You don't know what to do. You don't know how to trust. You don't know what's next. And you want to know, can anyone make it good? Darkness rejoiced as though heaven had lost. But then Jesus arose with my freedom in hand. That's when death was arrested and my life began. God meant it for good. And he means it for good. Like whatever that is for you, if you are with him, like if you belong to Jesus, you don't have to end in a coffin. You don't have to succumb to the evil within you or around you. You don't have to be controlled by fear or despair because God means it for you for good. And he will visit us again. The Lion of Judah, the one who is worthy, the conqueror, the victor, the one who who forgives, who loves, who pursues, and he will make all things new. This is the story he is telling. This is the story that you and I get to be a part of. And he will make it good. Let's pray. God, we cannot believe these things unless you help us. And so we plead with you, Lord Jesus, by the power of your spirit, give us the gift of faith. Help us to believe even in the midst of our unbelief and our doubt. God, I pray that we as your church would live radically different as a result. That this hope would color everything that we do, every interaction we have, every relationship we, we possess, every interaction at work or school, because everything we do be transformed by this incredible hope. But again, we can't do that on our own, so we ask you to do it in us and for us. Be glorified, we pray now, as we worship you. Amen.